guys, and welcome to Made in Chattanooga. I'm Landon, and I am a art director and videographer here in the Nuga office. And I'm with Brian. Yeah, hey, I'm Brian, uh, a senior writer at the same office. All right, today we're going to be interviewing a couple people, but our first is Trez. So we got Trez. He is a yes, musician indeed. and composer. Uh, so Trez, how's it doing? How's it doing today? You doing all right? Doing pretty good. You know, I'm not, I'm not a morning person, but you know, I had to wake <laughs> up. You know what I'm saying? I yeah, was up I gotcha. since 6.30 in the morning. That's crazy for me, you know. It's... That's that's not a good time for anybody. <laughs> nice. Yeah, you know. Anybody that says they, they like 6.30 in the morning, they're just, they're lying. Yeah. It can't be true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Cool, man. Well, we're excited to have you on the show. Oh, yeah. And uh, on the podcast, we're excited. Uh, let's get started here. First of all, we want to know kind of about you. You know, who are you? What is your background in music and, and just growing up here in this area? Oh, man. Um. Background-wise, I've been playing music all my life. I started out three years old playing the keyboard and um, just stuck with it. Born and raised here in Chattanooga. The scenery really influenced my sound, you know what I'm saying? Scenic City. Yeah. I call myself Scenic Grooves, actually. Nice. Kind of modeled after that. And um, yeah, I've just been, just, been, just been doing it. And I've also been uh, doing visual arts for a while as well. And then uh, got into dancing as well, so little break dancing, b-boying, popping, you know. Nice. Yeah, you know, that type thing. So the the uh the artwork that comes with your uh your songs that your your yeah, releases Yeah, I do all YouTube? yep. Awesome, man. Yep. All the all the self-release stuff I've done, I've done all the artwork for it, uh website, logo, all that stuff is That's awesome. That's, yeah. So you said the scenic city inspires your sound. Can you say more about that? That's really Yeah, just uh like I love driving, especially at night, getting a good night drive in, and just the feel, the vibe of it, just the city lights. And the interesting thing about Chattanooga is that downtown, you don't have a lot of really high skyscrapers. It's like it's a mix. So you can kind of see, you know, get more of a visual type scenery, you know, versus going to like maybe Atlanta or somewhere where it's a lot of skyscrapers and just buildings, you know, so you get like just this cool blend, you know what I'm saying? And then you get the the air, the vibe, just yeah, that's yeah. That's awesome, man. Now now let's just say for the audience here, I want you to describe your style of music. I know it's super unique and uh, incredible. Uh yeah. but I just want you to describe that for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, like I was saying earlier, I call them scenic grooves. Basically, it's music fitting all genres. But every song that I do is going to have a mix of jazz, funk, classical, and electronic sounds in there. It's also going to have like a, an otherworldly type vibe to my, my sound. You know, take viewers and listeners on a journey to like different places, different scenery. Another thing that influences my sound is dreams. Is I have a lot of dreams and I travel in my dreams a lot, you know. So not, awesome. to, get, not to get too weird on y'all. No, that's but, you cool. Know. No way, man. I think that's how musicians should be, you know? They should be doing stuff to make music that is above and beyond what everyone else thinks about, oh, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. You know. Yeah. And at Fitz, that's what I had in my headphones walking over to the library today. Really? It was, it was definitely the coolest three blocks I've walked that's in a long time. That's what's up. Okay. It, was, it felt good. Nice, yeah. nice. So what, uh, I mean, you're drawing on all these different genres when you make this stuff. Uh, what are you listening to right now when, when you're not working? Actually, truthfully, I would say a lot of dub music, like mm. reggae and dub. That's been kind of... But the thing is, when I listen to music, it's not like I'm... How can I say? I'm not like documenting every artist or whatever. It's just the sound that I'm sure. just taking in, you know? Yeah. And that dub sound has like that 
you know, kind of wavy type of vibe to it. Yeah. So it's awesome. Yeah, it's good music to wind down to, you know. For sure. So recently we got to use one of your songs in our one of our small biz videos. Yeah. And I was like, just send me some Chattanooga music. They sent me uh, some other tracks and then this one. And I heard it and was just blown away. Like, it fit the video perfectly. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Can you take us into that one? What's the name of that oh, one? Oh, yeah, and, and Journey of the Bounce. Yeah. Journey of the Bounce. A, okay, cool. Good track. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah, that's cool. We we loved using it, and uh, it was it was super fun. Uh, I think a lot of people, you know, found it uh, entertaining to watch. You can you right. can actually watch that online. If you look up Rise of the Rest Chattanooga, yeah. um, you can actually see that video and hear that music. And actually, that's like concerning VaynerMedia, I guess. That's like the second song that's actually been used. The first, actually, it was two songs featured on Gary V's daily blog. I want to say it's 51, and actually two, yeah, two of my other tracks been featured oh so. that's awesome man yeah that's on this so youtube sick. channel yeah it's got the right feeling yeah, yeah it is it's great that's awesome cool how do you feel about uh i mean the music scene in chattanooga you're you're a musician you're from here you got to have a good perspective i think on that. it's uh i think it's interesting you you get to see a lot of the demographics and what make up chattanooga you have people who are like you know down home south you know which is cool you know what i'm saying and then you have people coming in from different other cities and then they bring a different vibe and then you have, you know, artists that have grown up here and they're trying to bring in new sounds, but it's not so easy to do, unfortunately, you know, and I, I'm kind of one of those artists, you know what I'm saying? So, but I mean, the thing is across all genres, at least from my experience, all the artists have just been kind of been, it's like a family vibe, you know, it's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. We've heard that several times in the studio, listening to, talking to other artists about how it's a family here in Chattanooga. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. So what do you think is next for you as far as uh, musically? Where, where do you see yourself going and progressing? Immediate future, I see myself putting out a vinyl release, which I actually oh, am. Nice. So you know, I got to plug that, you know. Yeah. Cool. And then um, after that, I really want to dive into the music licensing aspect, like heavily. Yeah, you know, oh, cool. Still do shows, but do more like high profile and build a larger audience and connect with my audience, but also get into that music licensing space. That makes a ton of sense. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, nice. I mean, your yep, stuff yep. is great. For, I mean, yeah, it's great. For that, that and that's the stuff. thing I want to, you know, have like a variety of placements. Not how can I say like across the board, movies, video games. I get a lot of that. Oh man, you should, you know, put your stuff in video games and all this, you know. So yeah, that yeah. Be sick. The, yeah. The, the video game market is a great place for soundtracks yeah. right now. It's really yeah. cool stuff happening. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I'm trying to do that. You know, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, do you do you, do you plan on uh, do you travel much for shows? Are you are you moving around? I'm, much? I'm working on that too. You know, yeah, yeah. I do a lot of stuff locally, but sure. I want to. The goal is is to go like still do local, but then go regional, and then maybe do East Coast, and then like kind of branch out. Nice. And then like go international. You know. Yeah. What's the best ways to find your music right now online? Oh, you can go to trez.com. That's T R Y E Z Z. Dot com. Dot nice. C-O-M. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I yeah. saw you're on SoundCloud, too. Yeah, SoundCloud, YouTube. You'll find all my, my social media and media outlets on the website. Nice. You know. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll send them there. That's awesome. Yeah. Yep. Well, you mentioned earlier you're not, you're not a morning person. No, and I'm, no. I'm right no. with you on that. Um, and <laughs> you mentioned you like to drive at night, kind of take in the city. When do you, when do you most like to work on a song? Oh, at night, man. Yeah. Truthfully, probably 1 to 3 a.m., 
That's like, that's magic time. The whole world's asleep. Yeah, exactly. It's just a relaxing vibe. You don't get the pressures of the day. You know what I mean? It's People ain't cutting you off in traffic. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, and people cut you off in traffic and then they'll pull into a Sonics or something. You know, it's like <laughs> Sonics is not about to blow up. You know, that's you right. can get your smoothie later. You know what I'm saying? Exactly, like, yeah. Why, you, why so, are you going to wreck me for that? Yeah, you know, so it's like when everything's calmed down, then it's like, it's just rejuvenation for me, you know. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Cool. So what, what song do you think uh, really started your uh, your existence in this Chattanooga market? Like what really set you apart and mm. started getting people listening to you? Is there something that's kind of your staple song? Hmm. That's that's a difficult one. It, I would say it's not really one specific song. It's, it's I guess, a vibe that, that I started to bring because it's kind of a more of a jazzy type, like, an influence for me is jazz music, the improvisation. So a lot of my stuff is instrumental. So just that fact of bringing not like a set song, but like just setting a vibe with every song that I play and the way I blend in and go in and out of each song. That's where I started seeing, you know, kind of a rise nice. personally. You know. Okay, cool. Cool, yeah. man. Yeah. Hope that made some sense. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. When yeah. you were you were playing earlier over there, I saw a little bit of that improv coming in. Yeah, oh, great. yeah. A lot, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's like the core of what I do. A lot of people think I'm DJing when they just look at me, you know, sure. from a distance. But I'm actually playing all that stuff live. Yeah, and all the keys, the the keyboard work, the notes and stuff, intricate notes. That's that's straight, 100% live. You know. Yeah, that's awesome. So so yeah, we're about to listen to uh, our audience on the podcast. About to listen to two songs from you. Can you talk about those songs uh, and you know what they what they mean to you? Yeah, um, Dusk on West Third is the first one that I played and that's actually a song on the upcoming release, the vinyl release that's that's coming oh, nice. up soon. So and uh that song I actually first created that on uh Walnut Street Bridge. Oh nice. And then I just fixed it up. That's the whole thing about this vinyl release. Every song that I create or every song that's on the release I first created either while playing at different events or I played it like while street performing. Just made it up live on the spot. Awesome. Yeah. You so know. it really is tied to Chattanooga. Yeah, it's exactly. I mean, it is like made on the streets of Chattanooga, literally. <laughs> made in Chattanooga. That's yes. Cool. Yeah. There's our... It's like the most literal. Uh, yeah. Yes. Like you know, the, literally on the street. We got the, the right street. artist in here, man. That's yeah, awesome. you know. And then cool. the second song is uh, Midnight Magic, you know. That song is from uh, The Path. that I put that out last year. That's that's just like a, you know, Midnight Magic, you know. the, the When you hear it, it kind of speaks for itself, you know. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. We look forward to hearing it. Oh, yeah. Cool. I think we just have time for the final question. All right. We got to ask. Oh, so, the final question. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. So I haven't asked this before. This is big. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, man, so, okay. So oh, we oh, ask what's... all <laughs> We ask everybody. <laughs> you guys are scared. Here we go. Here, final question. <laughs> this is. All right. So everyone in our, that comes into our Chattanooga office, we ask okay. the same question. Um, and, and this question is going to be permanent. So whatever you say can't cannot be erased or changed. It's going to be laminated. Uh, and so the question is, you have do you have to pick five condiments? That is things you put. I guess a condiment could be described as like what things you put on top of something or you know whatever yeah. a condiment is. So yeah. so you have five of those and they come out of each finger. Okay. So okay. and and those are the only five condiments you can use for the rest of your life. And they come out of a specific finger. And that'll be the way it is for. For the rest of your life, what would those five condiments be, Dang, and out condiments. of what, and out of what finger would they come out Dang, of? I'm not even a condiments dude, man. Oh, 
Okay, can I get a list of condiments? <laughs> so, so yeah, we've I had know everything. ketchup. I know may oh, no, definitely not mayonnaise. Okay, so not mayonnaise. Uh, right. So like okay. you can do like salt and pepper. You can do like I'm big like into ranch. Ranch. Like you ranch. can do like I did oh, okay. steak bits in mine because yeah, you can oh, argue you can argue think... what a condiment is based off what your own personal conviction is okay. on a condiment. So like I I think of it as putting on top of stuff. So if I'm gonna put steak bits on top of salad on top steak of pizza, bits, so like be creative. Here. Okay. All right. All right, for the thumb, steak bits. <laughs> yes, I is. knew yes. I wouldn't be the only yeah, one right. with steak bits. Yeah, man, steak bits. All right, for the <laughs> index finger, bacon bits. Okay. See? Okay. There yeah. we go. Now uh-huh. we're getting you know. it. Yeah. All right, for the middle finger, salt. Salt, you know, that's perfect. That. You salt, people be salty. Yep. Yeah, you yeah. need that. Yep. You got the middle finger for that. So then you got to complement <laughs> the salt with the pepper. Yep. So okay. that's going to be the ring finger. Yep. And then the pinky finger. Dang, man, that's a toss-up. Um Dang, I don't I don't know what to do with the pinky finger. It's just um, oh no, uh, some seasoning salt. I don't know. Good. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, or maybe a one steak sauce. There it is. All right, okay, there to, you go. That's to good. go with the bits. Yeah, <laughs> all right. Yeah, you good. know, you gotta have you can have your whole, a whole meal that's in your yeah, man. Pretty much live off pinky. that. That's pretty yeah. protein, <laughs> man. That's right. Cool, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, dude, Trez, it's great to have you on the show, man. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, and, and really excited to to see where you go in the Chattanooga community. Word, word. Um, you are making it in Chattanooga, and we're happy to be a part of it. Word, um, word, one word. more time, where can we find your stuff um, if you want to shout oh, that yeah, out? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's Trez.com. So that's T-R-Y-E-Z-Z.com. Cool. Yes. That's it. Check it, out. Check it out, guys. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Welcome to Made in Chattanooga. Uh, this is uh, the VaynerMedia podcast that features an innovator and a creator from the Chattanooga community. And so today with us, we have Cameron Duty, the uh, president, chairman, co-founder of Bellhops. And uh, so thanks so much for joining us. Super, super pumped to yeah, be here. Yeah, it's this been, is great. This is, a, this is another white whale that we've gotten on the pod. So yeah, so Cameron, let's start with, we always like to ask kind of like the comic book origin story. So like where, you know, if you think about it that way, who, who are you, where, you know, what's your backstory? And, and then as kind of the innovation is kind of a topic we're going to be talking about today, you know, is there anything in that comic book origin story that kind of prepared you for a career in innovation? Yeah, you know, I think I've always been the type of person that, that kind of just goes for things. Okay. And I think, you know, I'm, I tend to be like a pretty... A, fun, I would say somewhat <laughs> impulsive, you know, person that's always kind of taking big swings on things right. and always like kind of pushing people around me to like do things and yep. talking them in it to into, into things. And when we, when we first started, I mean, it started where Stephen and I were, were at Auburn University and, and the original idea was, you know, every semester we were just having to move all of our friends. You yeah. know, it was, it was like two weeks every semester, <laughs> you're just getting bummed for, for moving help. And and we we said, you know, I mean, we have all these students and, and it's never, you know, students never hire professional moving companies yep. because that's totally overkill. And, it, and, you know, your parents don't want to drive three hours into town to come and help you. And so it ends up just being, you just beg your friends for help. Right. And uh, we said, you know, we have thousands of these, you know, able-bodied, ambitious uh, college students out there that are just broke, you know, within 100 yards of, of a, <laughs> you know, 115-pound girl moving into a dorm right. is a 200-pound, you know, 
<laughs> athlete that uh, playing video games, right? And that needs uh, that that needs some uh, needs work. And I mean that that was kind of the original idea was was find able-bodied college students to help other students yep. you know move during that time. Yeah. So were were you an entrepreneur growing up? Like, did were you the lemonade stand? washing cars kind of kind of kid or was what was you know what led you to even that moment at, at Auburn yeah I mean totally I think uh, I didn't do a lemonade stand we did I remember a time when I was a kid uh, we there was a like a stray dog and it ended up being like our neighbor's dog <laughs> okay that had uh, gotten out of a, a backyard and I uh, I felt sorry for the dog and so me and my brothers um, put a leash on it and then and went out to the street and put a for sale sign you sold a dog <laughs> <laughs> Sold our neighbor's dog. <laughs> to the uh, neighbor? Back to the neighbor? Well, I don't think we actually ended up selling it, <laughs> right. uh, but there was sure an, an attempt. But yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, so that's, that's, I think that's kind of always been in, in my blood. Yeah. yeah. You said taking big swings. I'm sure that's how it somehow convinced Hannon oh, to go out with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's the biggest <laughs> swing of all. Right. So you talked a little bit about kind of that initial decision to start in, in that you identified, hey, this is just an annoyance and this is, there's got to be a better way than just asking each other every year to, to move in. And But what turned it into like, this could be more than just a side hobby or a hustle, this could be a business? Yeah, right. So in the, in the early days, you know, we started with students and, and almost immediately we realized that the, the main stream moving market was just way broken because yeah. we we started having non-students asking for our services and like within a year it was more non-students than students yeah and we started kind of looking at the industry and, and it is it, just this big fragmented antiquated space with a you know 10,000 players that are all yeah. kind of like scavenging for for business but no one's differentiated in any real meaningful way and it's kind of this industry that's built on like letting the customer down yeah. you know it's like <laughs> It's, moving is like the third most dreaded thing in life behind death and divorce. Wow. And it's in the, you know, I think that the, the industry has just kind of been built on a, a dated model that you either have well-operated moving companies or poorly operated moving companies. And that's really the only differentiation you have. And so we had built bellhops from the beginning on a tech platform that allowed us to tap into this really high quality workforce yep. that was ambitious and educated and knows how to communicate with the customer and is empathetic and really takes a lot of pride in what they do sure. because you know in a lot of cases you know bellhops are pursuing bigger things and and you know whether you're a student or now today you know we've we've broadened outside of that but it's it's uh, you're an aspiring artist or you're yep. you know you're 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 aspiring to something big uh, and so you you take pride in what you're doing because bellhops actually just allows you to, to take ownership of a really stressful time for customers. Yeah. It's not this transactional experience. And so it's like something at the end of it, you feel like, it, you know, you just accomplish something and the customer is like so thankful and it's, yeah. it's, you know, it really creates a great bond. And having gotten to know you over the past three years since we moved down here, I feel like that characteristic you're talking about of that pride and like turning moving into like an enjoyable experience comes a lot from your and Steven's DNA, like you just like look at life in the fun way. And so that I'm sure that carried over into kind of building the business. Yeah. You know, I, I can't claim that, that we, <laughs> that was like the initial vision yeah. for, for what it was, but it was just like ever since, you know, the, the word go, that was just the way that we were going to do it. Yeah. And I think we got, you know, as any entrepreneur, 
um, luck plays into it. And so we found this industry that, you know, or kind of stumbled into this industry that, that r- desperately needed a new solution in a yep. completely different way. And the way that we wanted to provide it was actually the way that customers really want, you know. Yep. And, uh, and, and so when we, when we look at what we've built today, at the end of the day, I mean, aside from our technology that makes everything possible, yep. you know, we've, it's truly, you know, essential to, to, to making our business work. But the thing that really, really matters are the bellhops that are coming into sure. our customers' homes and interacting with, yeah, with the customer. And yeah. so they have to feel that, like, chest-beating buy-in to this yep. being a part of something that, you know, a company that stands for something. Yep. And so can you talk about the tech platform a little bit, just in terms of, I know, like, from my understanding, it, you know, you're not only helping the consumer have an easier experience, whether it's ordering online and signing up and, and through the app and things like that, but it's also critical to your operations in terms of finding, you know, and, and, and outsourcing and assigning kind of moves and things like that. Yeah, tech for us uh, has allowed us to create a first to industry model where we've actually decoupled labor and trucking. Okay. And so when you think about moving today, which I know moving is such an exciting topic to talk about, um, but when you think about moving today, the big issues are quality of workforce uh, and then supply constraints. And so the way that that moving companies grow, being an asset-based business, so you think about your your local movers, uh, if you have 10 trucks, moving is this highly seasonal business. And so like May through September, you're doing like yep. 70% of your business. And so the way you grow is if you have 10 trucks and you have a good year, uh, you maybe buy an 11th truck right. after Best. that year, yep. and then you grow 10% the next year. Yep. And that's kind of how you grow. And, but during busy season and you know, in, in like June, July, and August, every moving company in the country has more demand than they have supply. Yep. And so you get capped. And so our model where has allowed us by decoupling labor and trucking where Bellhops owns zero trucks. Yeah. Uh, we partner with with carriers in Final Mile who have contracts with like Amazon and run their trucks at night and okay. are sitting during the day. And trucking is all about utilization. Yep. And so we can keep their trucks moving during the day where we're assigning these professional truckers to moves. They're just showing up to the move. Our bellhops are meeting the truck there. The driver just gets out of the back, unlocks the back of the truck, gets back in the cab and takes a nap while our bellhops <laughs> are doing all the customer interaction, the yep. loading, the lifting, the packing and really doing what they are best at, sure. which is like making customers yeah, not, feel great. Not driving a truck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's allowed us to focus the right people in the right jobs, but, but tech is, by decoupling it, yep. we have virtually unlimited supply of trucks in any city where we can, you know, if we need 100 trucks in Atlanta, yep. we go out and just find those carriers, and, um, it, and, and it, we don't have to, to incur the capital expense. Sure, and it, it sounds like the, the aha moment of decoupling labor and trucks it's almost because you started just with the labor side. And then I guess, what, was there a moment where it was like, oh, tech can solve that by decoupling, whereas the rest of the world looks at it, that you got to kind of do package yeah. those things together. Well, so we always knew that trucks were going to be the future of bellhops. Okay. But the way that we grew the company, and, and you know, I know we're going to talk about venture yeah. capital later, but the way that we grew the company, because moving is so seasonal, you know, unlike, you know, a lot of people compare us to, you know, in terms of like business style, like an Airbnb, which yep. is a very episodic use case. Yep. But, but it's not necessarily seasonal. Ours is episodic, but it's very seasonal. Yep. And so uh, the way that we could grow in the early days and, and the only way that we could attract venture attention is if we grew our geos super fast. And okay. said, look, we can scale this labor platform and then stitch in trucking later. Yep. 
And that is what allowed us, allowed us to get our first 100,000 moves under our belt. Yep. Because if we had picked one city, because of the seasonal nature of it, let's say we got like 200 or 300 customers in city in year one, we'd have to wait a full year to yep. double that or triple that or quadruple that. And yep. then you're only at like 2,000 moves, right? So we expanded geos super wide. Mm -hmm. And then, so we knew trucks were going to be a part of it. Actually, in 2014, we just added a button to our order flow uh, where we said, hey, do you want us to show up with bellhops and a truck? Right. Because at the time, we were just a labor platform. We were yep. just loading and unloading people's U-Hauls. And something like 70% of our customers <laughs> that were, were do-it-yourselfers, like yep. by default, they were getting U-Hauls that were moving locally from A to B, so like eligible, yep. were purchasing this from us. And what we did was we, would, we got a corporate account with U-Haul, <laughs> and, and we'd attach the order notes to the, to the job, and our captain would go pick up a U-Haul, do the move, take the truck back on every single move. Wow. And within 100 days, we became a top, like, 50 customer <laughs> of U-Haul. We had booked, like, 2,500 trucks in 100 days tw back in 2014. Yeah. And U-Haul was like, whoa, who are these, who are these people? <laughs> and ultimately ended up shutting down our corporate account because they saw us <laughs> as, like, fraud. creating a monster. <laughs> yeah. But then we also, at the time, got started getting cease and desist from every household goods regulatory commission across the country because we hadn't gone through any, you know, jumping through hoops on any of the regulatory <laughs> stuff. And so, we had, okay, okay, so we paused trucks for a couple of years. Okay. And today, we're actually not a household goods carrier. <clears throat> we're, a, we're a broker, uh, okay. uh, a broker carrier where we are not providing the trucking. We're partnering with trucking providers. So yep. our, our truckers aren't doing any of the moving. We've, it's all part of that decoupling yep. piece. And, and today, that's really just, that's fueled the growth. You know, Bellhops today is the fastest growing moving company in the U.S. Yeah. And it largely in, in part to tech just allowing us to do something in a way that has never been Had possible been before. before. Yeah. So you kind of talked about that. Uh, so you're eight years in, seven years in, 2011 was the, was the start. Yep. So, yep. And you've described already a little bit some of the starts and stops and pivots and expand, you know, very fast expansion in the early days to maybe attract some of that venture attention. But then introducing trucking had, you know, its own kind of starts and stops and you're, as you're figuring things out. I guess what are the biggest just lessons you've learned in the uh, about innovation, about entrepreneurship, about, um, you know, building a business? Man, I, it's tough to, to break it down. You know, I think. The, the key one that I'd like to bring up is I read a, an engineer wrote this article around having strong convictions but holding on to them loosely. Okay, yeah. And that was just, it was like this light bulb moment where it was like seven years of startup, you know, experience was baked into like one thing. <laughs> and when we think about essentially what that means is like if you have, you know, if you have loose convictions right. on something, you're just waffling back and forth, like kind of spineless, and, and you're never going to go in any one direction because you don't believe in anything, right? Yep. So you have to have strong convictions in startups about what you're trying to do and what you want to do, and like, this is the way we're going to do it. But the second that you get new information that, that tells you that you maybe need to adjust the way you think about something, yep. you have to be able to let go of that death grip that you had <laughs> on it to position into something else. Yep. And it's like the Airbnb story, which I think is just awesome. So in the beginning, it was airbed and breakfast. Right, yeah, yeah. And in the beginning, you know, they're like, why don't we just rent out our living room floors to people who need a room? We'll get an air mattress. Uh, it'll be great. We'll cook them breakfast in the morning, yep. whatever. And so they, they started doing it, and then and their customers pretty quickly were like, 
hey, or, or their hosts actually were like, hey, yeah, this is a really cool platform, but I have like a guest room <laughs> with like a bed in it, and I feel kind of weird letting this person sleep and, you know, making this person sleep on an airbed in my living room. Can I just let them sleep in the bed? And the founders there, Brian Chesky, was like, yeah, I guess you could do that, but you have to put the airbed on top of the bed <laughs> if you do that. And it's, it's like that conviction thing that you're just like stuck on. And then, you know, customers would say, I'm gonna, not even going to be there for the weekend. Yeah. Uh, can I just rent my whole apartment for the weekend and just leave yep. the key somewhere? And Brian was was like, "Yeah, I guess you could do that, but let me ask you a question: How are you going to cook them breakfast if you <laughs> if you're not there?" And so it's like the market slaps you around, <laughs> and you have to be able to listen yep. uh, and and adjust. Well, Brian did okay. <laughs> he did. He did okay. Um, he did okay. So we 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 touched on it a little bit, but you you mentioned kind of that venture attention and and the venture capital world. And, and I think I, I consider myself to be founder and VC adjacent, right? So I work for a serial entrepreneur, Gary. And so I see a lot of kind of his world, but it's, it's a glimpse and I'm in like a pretty, you know, a not venture business, right? And, and but then I've got a lot of friends and, and colleagues and things like that, that are founders are going through that startup grind and things like that. And one topic that I always find interesting, and I think you've maybe have an interesting perspective on this is fundraising, where it's almost seen as like a game in some ways, because like Gary will talk about the fact that some people are just really good at the financial arbitrage game of getting to the next round. And they're not actually building a business, they're just building math on paper that shows, you know, KPIs or metrics that greenlight someone to, to invest. And so as you guys have gone from C to Series A to Series B, like what's been your experience is fundraising you know, related to, to building a business at all? Is it not? I mean, there's all, there's a lot of talk about silly money being thrown around for concepts, not even for businesses that are turning profits. Yeah. What's your perspective? Well, I think that being based in, in the South kind of comes with its inherent challenges and like the venture game, which is still largely like based in the big tech hubs. Right. So we're kind of like swimming up, you know, up current now, (laughs) which, which by the way, I do not see as any sort of hindrance in your yeah. ability to fundraise is just it's just you've got a headwind that you just have to work sure. extra hard on. But I think being based here, growing up for us, like I didn't even know what venture capital was yeah. when I graduated college. Yeah, of course. And entrepreneurs in the South were like people that started restaurants. Yep. And uh, and so raising money to to pursue some big audacious venture, uh, it wasn't something that I ever thought about. Now. Kids in the you know on the West Coast grow up you know in like T-ball they're talking about. <laughs> when I grow up, I want to go raise a bunch of money and yep. do you know start a space company that colonizes you know. Sure. And it's it's very different. But I think what being based here had rooted us in was like there at no point were we ever going to start a company without a clear path to monetization. Yeah. So it was like we were kind of rooted in like how do we build a real business? Yep but use technology to provide rocket fuel to, to take something over. And so I guess to circle back to your question, yeah, I think there are a lot of bad investors out there. Sure. There are a lot of great investors out there. I think great investors are able to, you know, if, if a company doesn't have a clear path or a clear plan to monetization, at least in their head, they have a thesis on how they will yep. do that. Or, but, you know, at the end of the day, if you have, if you're building a good company, you're going to be able to raise money. Now, to your, to your point on it being a game, <laughs> I have never experienced fundraising being a game. Okay. Fundraising is a major <laughs> pain in the buns. 
and it yeah it, it takes you out of the company it yep. takes you it's it's very counterintuitive to to growing a business and that's and kind I of don't, what, yeah that's kind of what the heart of my question was about is that it's it's like you've got to you know whether it's someone on the team has to literally step away from the business and then pursue this while the business keeps running. It just seems like it's a, it's a challenging thing to handle. It, yeah, it is. It is. I mean, it's extremely time consuming and, and it doesn't get easier the bitter, <laughs> bigger or more successful you get. It's yep. like the questions just keep getting harder and it's just, it's just a drain. Yep. Uh, but it's absolutely essential if you're going down the path of sure. raising, raising money to, to do that. And so uh, it's just something that that you have to kind of grin and bear it and get through it. But yeah, it's um, it, it's I don't see fundraising as as in any way a success <laughs> sure. like some founders do. Yeah, I think course. I think that fundraising is just it's a necessity to you know continuing building your business. Yep. So let's talk about kind of the la- the most recent chapter of of the business, and that's you know a year ago you and Steven stepped back and hired a CEO. And so what, uh, with Luke, um, and so what, what went into that decision? How did you guys come to the, to the realization or to the decision that, you know, we got it to this point, but we need someone else to come in to take us to another point? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think it's just, it's, it sounds cliche, but it's, it's a classic story. You know, the people that, that get you from zero to one are, are typically not the people that get you from one to infinity. Uh-huh. And and that that may sound like a, you know a, a, I'm I'm like throwing shade, <laughs> and I'm not at all. Yeah, it's truly the people that are able to create something from nothing and get it to something. Yep. Uh, it sounds like an easier part of the equation, and it's actually a, a in my view a much harder part of the, the equation because you have zero playbook to work with. Right. And Stephen was absolutely magical to you know as our founding CEO to get yep. us. Uh, from from zero to one, and I think that uh, the way that we got from zero to one, being this very heart driven, yep. grit driven business that was, would never fail, you know, would never give up, uh, would would kind of drove this culture around doing something with soul, yep. and and that created uh, our ability to to build a brand that that really permeates all the way down to every bellhop in our in our country or company a, a, across the country. Yep. You know, people that have never met us have this feeling around what bellhops is. And that comes from not just building a great product and running the numbers efficiently, yep. but doing it in a way that that is inspiring to everyone that's that's a part of it. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, so Steven stepped back and and uh, we 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 knew that whether the search was gonna take six months or, or six years, we were going to kick it off and it was the right decision for the company. Yep. And we ended up finding Luke pretty early on and truly stumbled into <laughs> one of the most uh, impressive people I've ever met in my life. I awesome. think we, we've, we brought on someone that, you know, Luke is, is, a, is a future famous CEO. <laughs> He's really just been able to, to, to really elevate the, the team and, and, um, and really dr- pour fuel on on the company that was already growing like a like a rocket yeah so what what lessons have you like what's the past year been like with luke at at the helm and and what lessons have you learned what lessons have you taught him yeah i think uh so luke and i have a, a i think a really cool relationship in that he brings you know a a very heavy business pedigree harvard business school guy that you know worked for a CEO at a, a multi-billion-dollar business yep. that uh, you know, and then and then bef- directly before Bell Hops was was running Uber for the Southeast, yep. 
And, you know, he brings a level of analytical rigor uh, to the company that we just never had. And, and his ability to kind of really lead the team and, and focus everyone on the company on their own backyards yep. uh, and, and really organize the, the company towards to where everyone in the business is really pushing towards the exact same goal. Yep. Sounds easy. That's a really, really hard <laughs> thing to do. You know, we're, we're uh, you know, in the office every day, we probably, you know, going into busy season, probably 110 or 120 in the office every day. And, and Luke has just done an absolutely amazing job. And I, I think that the thing that, that I, I, I would like to, to say that I bring to the table with Luke is one of my biggest jobs right now is just making sure that that soul and that heart and that grit yep. is just, it's, it's not left behind. Yep. It is, it's doubled down into. That's awesome. Um, all right. So I know we're wrapping up soon and I might just have to have you back on later to, to finish out some of my other questions, but we'll, we'll end with this one. And this is a uh, one I didn't send over to you because it's a bit funny and quirky. And so with every guest that we ever have into the VaynerMedia office, um, whether they're visiting from New York or LA or London, one of the other offices, or whether they're just a vendor there that's like, you know, bringing us lunch and teach us about their product or something like that. We yep. ask, um, we play the laminate game. And so what the laminate game is, is we're going to ask you a question and you have to laminate those answers forever. So like they are with you for all time. And so the question is, um, if you could only choose five condiments to have for the rest of your life um, and think of them as like coming out of your fingers. So like your thumb is going to be the condiment <laughs> A and yeah. all the way down. Uh, what would those five condiments be? Yeah. Oh, I've heard you ask this question uh, before, and I was like, I don't, man. Um, Okay, well, hot sauce. Okay. Uh, Is there a brand of hot sauce? You know, I'm I'm a Cholula guy. There we go. My man. I I think Cholula might even be one and two, (laughs) Um, because it can double as a weapon, maybe. Okay, sure. Um, Or at least like a Christmas ornament with a little, like, you know, the the top. (laughs) I don't know. Right, yeah. Yeah, I I get the wooden cap. Yeah. Yeah, right. Uh, I would say um, three would would be you know ketchup. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go for you know standard. Let's call it you know spicy mustard. Okay. And then five. I'm gonna go. This isn't really a condiment. Yeah. But uh, if I could have Nutella come out of my my I mean, pinky, that would be dream life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that would be my. There we five. go. All right. Very good. Well, Cameron, thanks so much for for coming on the pod today. Uh, always a blast hanging out with you, and uh, we'll have you back on soon. Likewise. Glad to do it. Super excited. This is great. Awesome. Thanks, man.